You're listening to the Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to Bitcoin mining. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. All right. So Aaron, it's great to catch up with you. And lots changed in the market over the last year. So we'd just Definitely. love to get some market color. Yeah. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've seen in the multifamily market over the last six months and what your outlook is for this year? No, I would love to. Great to speak. And there are a few headlines right now. First is there's still a gap between sellers' price expectations and what buyers are willing to pay given what's, what's happened with interest rates and in the debt markets. So there's a bit of a dislocation. All the reports and data that we're seeing is month after month, there's a double-digit decrease in actual transaction activity while there's a lot of sitting on the sidelines, a lot of price discovery still. On the debt market side, besides the more recent increase in interest rates, what we've seen is a real pullback from banks, both in terms of lending activity, but also in terms of leverage. We've seen a very dislocated set of CMBS and CLO markets. A number of our peers that were very strong in terms of execution in both of those spaces are also sitting on the sidelines more. And we are very well positioned right now, both with our bridge lending arm, with our private debt fund that assists with acquisitions, which is balance sheet based. And we've been very active with that. I think balance sheet bridge lenders who are active are few and far between these days. And also with our separate business, Bravo Capital, which is a fully approved HUD lender nationwide, it's become a very stable source of financing, both takeout financing, also on the back end of our bridge platform and also for new development. That's great. So to give you some perspective on where we sit in the market, we're not a direct operator ourselves, but the JCAM series of funds have invested in over 40 syndication deals. And it's a combination of five to seven year fixed rate Fannie Mae debt. But there's a fair amount of properties that have entered with bridge loans with an interest rate cap through most of the groups you highlighted that were some of your competitors in the market. How does the HUD product work? And more specifically for someone who bought in March of this year and maybe had a 3% rate cap that they hit over the last six months. So now they're at their cap and they've got two years less to refinance. Like, What do you see as a path in this market for using HUD as an option to exit a bridge loan, which may be giving some operators? Fortunately, the ones we're in so far, our rents are up so much that we've kind of renovated our way well above any interest rate risk. But those that may have some challenges, how could HUD help? Definitely. So HUD is an in-depth process that's first and foremost, somebody should know it's not a fast closed process. We typically advise with Bravo Capital that whoever is looking at HUD or even exploring it should send our team materials for a loan sizing at the outset so that we could perform full diligence, see if it's actually a fit and want to flag at the outset that before the HUD funding and closing, the sponsor should have at least six months ready for the HUD process, given it's intensive with diligence. But assuming that all checks out, property is eligible, sponsor has enough time. With the 223F HUD insured financing, what we're able to provide is a higher leverage product typically than elsewhere in the market. 
It's an 80% LTV product. Minimum DSCR for market rate is a 1.176. So that's also very competitive. But the best part about a HUD insured financing is the certainty and the fact that upon closing your high certainty that you're not reliant a CMBS style execution, but you know that your lender is going to be there. And also once you have closed to have a long-term fixed rate product just means that our sponsors can sleep at night. A lot of the alternatives that are either floating rate or short duration just mean that it's hard to project long-term, especially for a long-term holder. It's very compatible with their goals. That's great. A lot of the market we're in is syndicated deals where at least as of a year or two ago, a lot of these had three, five, seven-year targets where they eventually sell and pay back, just really return capital to passive investors and then do another one. HUD is a longer-term product. Is it a steep prepayment penalty if somebody wants to exit in five to seven years? The typical HUD prepayment penalty is a 10-year typical step down. So 10%, decreasing 1% each year until burn-off. But what's little-known fact about HUD is that the prepayment is customizable. And we have worked with sponsors on five-year prepays, for instance, if they believe that there'll be a shorter hold. It's a more detailed discussion as to how that works. But that's one way where if there's a shorter term hold, obviously you don't have to hold for the whole 35-year loan term, just customize and shorten the prepay. That's one earlier exit option. Another option is the TPA process, assigning your HUD loan if you have a purchaser who is a experienced sponsor is a common process and you're not hit with the prepay fee. There's a separate nominal TPA fee, but transferring is a commonly executed strategy for those with shorter hold windows. That's great. And that there's a certain type of buyer that certainly makes sense for. I mean, we just had an exit on one of the deals we were invested in in October at the height of interest rate rises, and it was sold to a local family office. And they went in with a 10-year fixed rate debt. And fortunately, the 10-year has not moved as the as the, the two and the three-year and so forth. So I think if you're entering at close to 80 LTV and three, four years later, you're still at 70 LTV. I mean, there's a lot of family office type of buyers who don't want the highest leverage and would take on a long-term fixed rate product, assuming rates don't plummet down again. But if that's the case, probably worth eating a prepayment penalty. And if rates end up at 2% again, then somebody will want to take a new loan and values probably up significantly at that point. Definitely. And for those with a historical perspective, we see that we're clearly in an inflationary environment. There's no clear end in sight to when inflation will be reined in. And we're still at the lower end of the historical spectrum in terms of where the U.S. 10-year treasury is. Fixed rate long-term debt is the place to be, right? There's no question. Not just for new HUD loan execution, but we're even seeing that recently closed and executed HUD loans turn a property into an acquisition target because the HUD loan is seen almost as an asset on the property. It is assignable. And for instance, we've seen loans in recent months close with a four handle. We saw a 4.84% closing a number of weeks ago for a market rate property that we worked on. And right now that sponsor is fielding calls because not only is it a great property, but purchasers want to assume a 4% fixed rate loan on a beautiful new construction property. So I think that factors into the analysis, the assignable piece of the HUD loan. That's great. Now, you mentioned it, it is a longer closing cycle than traditional. So realistically, for a majority of the deals that I see, it's 
not very realistic to use HUD for the initial purchase. And that's the reason you guys have a proprietary bridge product. Walk me through, if you can, just the cycle of the type of traditional syndication we're involved in, where whether it's off market or on market, where you realistically have to close it in roughly 90 days and it just you're not going to start with a HUD loan. But can you maybe walk me through how the how it goes with bridge to HUD and the steps that would need to be taken by a sponsor group? The beauty of Bridge to HUD is a sponsor is able to get the best of both worlds, especially given that we have both platforms in-house. So a sponsor is able to execute on that faster close that you mentioned and can close in 30 to 60 days with our Bridge product. A unique feature of our Bridge product is there's no lockout period or minimum term. As soon as the property is ready for HUD and the sponsor wants to go to HUD, there's no exit fee with us and they can go directly to HUD. In terms of the HUD execution itself, we have a separate entity. We have a wall between our two teams, but with the borrower's permission, of course, we could very easily share borrower information, loan form information, third-party reports, and just leverage that so that there's real efficiency. And from a user interface perspective, there are two very separate loan teams working on two loans. But from the borrower's experience, it feels like one seamless process, both to enjoy the quick acquisition with a bridge product, but also to get the benefit of the low fixed rate HUD product a number of months later. That's great. Are there any differences between, let's say someone who's already been a key principal on a Fannie or Freddie deal or any of the other bridge lenders, but hasn't done a specific HUD loan. Are there any differences in net worth requirements, experience requirements? Like, had you had to have signed on a HUD loan before where you may need to add a different key principle to the GP team to execute this? Yeah, there's a lot packed in there. I think anybody who has significant multifamily experience and hasn't had a negative track record of defaults or criminal issues or bankruptcy would be eligible for a HUD loan, particularly for a 223F which is an already built and stabilized product. As you could imagine, for a ground-up product, which is a 221B4, both for us as HUD's fiduciary and for HUD itself, there's a lot more scrutiny to make sure that somebody has the capability to do a 221D4. So if somebody's doing ground up construction, I just differentiate that and say it's very helpful to have prior HUD D4 experience if you're doing a D4, less so given that the risk and capability required is less if you're just uh, executing a 223F already built and stabilized acquisition. Yeah, that's great. And at least for the deals I have in mind and the stuff we've been involved with, almost all of it is value add. So uh, yeah, we've done very, at least so far, we've been not very involved in the ground up space. You mentioned stabilized. Can you give a range? I mean, a lot of these value adds, when we're entering them, they're 90% occupied. They maintain high 80s, low 90s occupancy. I mean, there's a combination of moving rents to market, but maybe renovating five to 10 units a month. Maybe some months you don't want to have more renovations. So do more just adjusting rents to closer to market, but without driving down occupancy. Where's the line for stabilization, I guess, is the question on the typical value add. And I'm sure you're pretty familiar with the standard playbook of a 70s, 80s vintage value add. We welcome transitional property with our bridge fund. So if something is a lease up, is not anywhere close to, as you were saying, 90% stabilized, if there is a heavy value add involved, our bridge fund is meant for exactly that, for transitional product. In contrast, when somebody is going to HUD, both for HUD's purposes and also for the sponsor's purposes, it makes sense for the property to be as polished 
and as stable as possible. Usually we are looking above 90% stabilized. And also just thinking from the sponsor's perspective, if you're locking in proceeds and the loan that's a 35-year loan term with a prepay, whether it's for five years or for 10 years that prepay, you want to make sure that you're maximizing the value of the property and loan proceeds before you go to HUD. So that's another reason why we are typically seeing 90% plus stabilized and much of the work and upgrading done before actually opting into that HUD financing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to change gears a little bit. What have you seen as far as, and this has come up a lot, with interest rates going up, cap rates have seemed to expand a bit, but it's certainly not been linear. And I know it's very market dependent and value add dependent, but what trends have you seen just high level on sort of how much cap rates have moved compared to interest rates? We've seen cap rates not move enough to reflect interest rates. And there are a number of deals that just don't meet the DSUR requirement. And thankfully for HUD, it's a very competitive DSUR requirement. The minimum is a 1.176 for market rate project. But even with that, we're seeing a lot of projects don't pencil. And that's led to sponsors getting more creative in terms of how they're going to achieve their goals and their yields, whether it's working harder to find off-market transactions with a story, or whether it means sponsors that haven't done development before, forming a JV and getting into development, the tactics are definitely changing. I think we've seen much similar. And the one thing at least I see on the heavier value add, the entry cap is often not really reflective. To some extent, it's you're backing into somewhat closer to a stabilized cap just because at $500, $600 a month to increase in rent, you're pricing in some of the upside to a slightly lower entry cap, at least maybe on trailing three or trailing six, because you want the deals that have so much upside that you can stabilize it at a higher cap. And it sometimes almost looks like a construction project of what cap rate you're building to, just because there's so much rent, so much upside in both raising rents and renovating units. I mean, we have a few projects where rents are up 91% after renovation, which is pretty amazing. Fantastic. No, that's great result. Also, another trend we're seeing related is that In 2023, the data is showing that there's a tremendous wave of maturities coming, and it's a really unique set of maturities, given that interest rates have gone up higher than some sponsors planned for, and they're entering a market where they need a new loan, and they're not quite sure if it even makes sense to take on the type of financing they've taken on previously in terms of floating bridge rate. And it's leading to a lot of traditional non-sellers becoming sellers and thinking they can't necessarily handle a new financing. We're seeing requests for bridge to bridge, taking out existing bridge loans because somebody wasn't necessarily able to execute their plan in time for a permanent loan takeout. So just different type of environment to navigate. And there too, I think the HUD product is a great product, both with the combination of a competitive fixed interest rate makes a loan pencil that might not otherwise with the debt fund execution. Yeah. I think you just said right there is the biggest anxiety I hear from our investor base and potential investor base is that what happens when balloon payments, what happens when people have to refi? And fortunately, most of our deals have another at least year plus a one-year extension, but it is a big anxiety driver for probably everyone. It's probably the biggest risk for everyone in the market is having actual balloon payments, which is, is something very different than anyone who's been a residential investor who's generally refining into 30-year fixed. I mean, just having to make these decisions every 
three to five years is it was nerve wracking. And this is really the first time in generation that we've had rates move the way they have. So an average deal with that DSCR might be hard to do without sticking an Excel sheet up, but let's keep it high level here. For a typical sponsor who's doing a value add and is raising, able to execute, maybe they've not renovated enough of the units yet, but for a deal that's generally going well, but was on a three-year interest-only bridge and is going to move either directly to HUD or maybe, again, it makes sense to maybe go to another bridge with the long-term plan of HUD. Where's the line of a deal that's not going to work because the business plan is failing and they're only renovating 5% of the units that haven't driven NOI to meet these new debt service coverages? Yeah. And that latter example, it definitely sounds like a need for a bridge to a bridge. A lot of what we tell both our friends and clients is to be honest with themselves, especially in terms of pro formas. When looking at the HUD process, it is an elongated process. And as a result, you can start the process at least with us relatively early on, and we could start building an application and a narrative while somebody is showing us their pro formas. And of course, they need to be actualized over the course of our application. But where people get into trouble is if they're overly optimistic in terms of their own timelines, in terms of whether it's rent growth or occupancy or executing their value add plan, and just that personal integrity of being honest with oneself in terms of do they really need an additional bridge to bridge? Are there hurdles in any of those categories above? That's very helpful just so that they don't sponsors don't spin their wheels with a process where they're not able to be ready for that execution or meet those hurdles in terms of occupancy or completing repairs or DSCR coverage. That's great. So yeah, you've given a lot of great tips for what I think a majority of sponsors, well, pretty much unless they've locked in with 10-year Fannie debt, I think almost every sponsor I've spoken to over the last year or two is going to have some big decisions to make over the next year or two. And I haven't seen as much HUD in recent years, just in our deal flow. My gut says there's going to be a lot more HUD takeouts over the next few years. Yeah, I would think so. Just looking historically, some of the peak years for HUD have been during the great financial crisis, during peak COVID, at times when the market is scared, part of the public policy behind HUD is to make sure that there is consistent and certain transactional activity. And of course, having a fixed rate at the terms that are being offered are very competitive, but that has been the track record for HUD. So I would expect to do the same. And even in early 2023, we're starting to see significantly more demand, a real uptick versus what we saw in the prior year. That's great. And for this is probably a stupid question that I should know, but what are the HUD rates more closely tied to? Is it somewhat off the 10 years? Is it somewhere off the Prime, if someone's in a loan right now and they just really want to do a quick math on what their rate might be in today's dollars, like what can they compare it to? Sure. So, of course, we're always available. Bravo Capital has a desk and we could always provide a real time HUD quote. If somebody is just trying to monitor on their own, it's hard to do for the multifamily rate, but it is loosely tied to the US 10 year treasury. So, if you already have a HUD quote and you're trying to see what's happening in the intervening months, it's a similar type of instrument ultimately. So, if the US 10 year is widening or tightening, it's a good indication as to what's happening with your HUD rate in the interim. That's great. And it sounds like it wasn't as silly of a question as I thought. So, thank you for that. Yeah, you mentioned that there's obviously two different divisions. You mentioned that they're separate, but obviously with borrower consent, you can speak to each other. Is everything centralized under the Bravo brand? Just for lender compliance and liability purposes, we have different walled off entities, but at the same time, communication with, as you said, sponsor authorization is very fluid. So there are no hurdles 
once we have that authorization to speak with some of our colleagues in affiliate companies. And you mentioned the two main companies. We have Bravo Capital and Bravo Bridge Fund. We also have an affiliated sister company, Bravo Mez Fund, that provides mezzanine capital, almost a replacement for LP capital, especially these days as we're seeing other financing sources pull back on leverage. It's been a very helpful tool, whether it's, it coincides with our bridge fund or whether it's side by side with somebody else's financing. That's interesting. Now you say mezzanine, is it true mezzanine where it's an actual second lien, which I know some other senior lenders won't allow, or is it in some cases structured as a pref equity, which might be compliant with other first lien lenders? So it is structured as true mezzanine. A collateral typically is not a second mortgage, but instead is a mezzanine pledge. So it sees the collateral a pledge in the entity that owns the property. And we've worked with many major lenders to have an intercreditor so that our mezzanine product could slot in seamlessly side by side, else a senior loan and get the sponsor the leverage that they need. That's great. Well, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff here and you've given a ton of information to the audience here. Do you have any any other closing thoughts? Definitely. But Jack, first, want to hear what your vision is for 2023 and what you see as the biggest opportunity. Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate that. I echo a lot of what you'd said earlier. We are seeing that buying opportunities are getting better. To some extent, the cap rates are expanding and some of the increase in capital cost is priced in. However, there's still a premium for the heavy value add. Even at a 5% cap rate, when you have a property that you can spend $7,000 renovating an apartment and raise rents by $500 a month. And perhaps all in the net operating income is increasing by $5,000 a year. That's adding close to, depending on what exit cap rate you're using. I mean, you're adding potentially $100,000 of value per unit for every 7,000 in renovation. So we're still seeing a lot of good opportunities or starting to see some assumptions. Those that were conservative and went in with fixed rate are, some of those are now at a premium, like you'd mentioned, even on the HUD loans. Loan to values are a little bit lower. There's definitely, I honed in on your mezzanine and asked about prep equity there because there's a era of entering at 80% seems to be gone for a while. I mean, we're seeing a lot of loans where they're entering at 64% loan to value, whether it's on an assumption or just going very conservative with senior debt. And they need to raise more LP equity. And the majority of the deals we're in, these are not institutional deals with large family offices or institutions. It's a lot of syndicates where raising 100, 200,000 from 20, 30 different investors. And that's becoming a heavier and heavier lift for typical sponsors. So I think having new avenues to go to get some larger checks, whether it is a mezzanine that's compliant so that the raise from traditional LPs ranging from friends and family up through just a network of accredited investors. A five, a lot of people can raise five million with an emails and some phone calls, but when you start having to go ten to twelve, it's a real heavy lift. So it's been a major dislocation in the market the last six to twelve months. And there's a few prominent pref equity lenders have backed off for their terms or just not accretive anymore. So to the extent that gap can be filled in the market, I think it'd be it's a golden opportunity this year. And then last point is in, on the distressed side, for those sponsors that did get into some level of trouble, we are paying very close attention to potential recap scenarios where we can come in on the equity side and certainly not wipe out current investors, but look for opportunities to come in and update the capital stack, provide some liquidity. And the people that, for whatever reason, are in trouble that need to do a cash-in refinance instead of a cash-out refinance, we're paying very close attention to those types of deals where 
we can come in with a few million dollars of equity potentially and help reposition a property and the right size of the capital stack and ensure continuity into a new loan that's DSCR compliant. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of what you pointed out. And I'm sure that will be helpful for the listeners on our end. In terms of keys for 2023 and key takeaways, I'd say first, relationships are key, especially in a recessionary and fractured market. We found historically, even when transactional activity dips, it's a great time to form new relationships. It's a great time to speak with new lenders and just to stay active and get to know the market. Within the financing sector, more specifically, I'd say there are three keys I would urge listeners to think about. One is finding a path to fixed rate financing, extremely helpful. Second, focusing on who in the market is actually providing higher leverage, given that there is a pullback with many lenders, as we both are mentioning. And third, which is most critical, is reliability. A lot of deals are getting done based on certainty of execution. We're seeing sponsors get better pricing when they're working with a lender like us that is known in the market for doing what they say and coming through in all weather and all types of climates. Those are a few keys I think everybody should keep in mind. That's really great stuff. Aaron, we'll put this in the show notes as well, but please tell everyone your website, key social media, LinkedIn, et cetera, so that everyone can find and connect with you. So our website is bravocapital.com. You can connect with us best by contacting Elon Goldberg, one of our originators. His email is eg at bravocapital.com and looking forward to building new relationships with the listeners. That's great. I really appreciate your time doing this. This is a great chat. Hopefully we can do it again sometime and I'm sure we'll be exchanging some deals over the course of this year as well. Okay. Looking forward. Thanks so much, Jack. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Episode Take of Alternative care. Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra connected and ultra wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at alternativeinvestormastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.